So every time I um, watch that bumper and I think about this series, I, I, get, I get really emotional about this thing. And I, I came into this series as we kind of started planning it out, not realizing all the emotions that it was going to bring up inside of me. And um, there's just something, I don't know, I, there's just something right now, I guess, from the season of life that I'm in at 51, looking back on life, and, and we're starting this series called Helping the Next Gen Win and having having a daughter who's like 29 and a son who's 26 and another daughter who's 23 and, and looking back going, wow, this is a big deal. What, what we do as adults, it has a huge impact on whether the next gen wins or not. And um, I've been in multiple conversations over these last few months. In fact, uh, several months ago, um, I was in one of our staff trainings where we bring all of our campuses together and and we do a training about twice a month on a Tuesday, one, one's a half day and one's a full day. And, and I got off on a little rabbit trail about parenting, if you can imagine me getting off on a rabbit trail. But anyhow, um, I got on this rabbit trail about parenting and um, a lot of our younger staff came to me even later and said, man, could you just talk a little bit more about parenting? And then at Easter, we ask all of you on all of our campuses to kind of let us know what were some of the top subjects that you want us to talk about and that you're struggling with. And uh, parenting was like in the top of all of our campuses of, of wanting us to talk about. And, and so today, uh, we're, we're beginning um, a, a brand new series focused on helping the next gen win. And, and I'm going to tell you, it's, it's one that for some reason I've just gotten so emotional about because there's just, every time I start thinking about it or talking about it, there's this thing that wells up inside of me going, this is a big deal. And then this morning I'm sitting there at the eight o'clock service and, and, um, and I'm watching Trevor Brogdon playing the drums. And I'm thinking, man, the kid, he's been one of the kids that's kind of came on the journey of RCC of growing up, and now Trevor is moving on, and he's going to be, um, and you, if, you, if you're on the Chipley campus or Mariana campus or Blountstown campus, you've seen Trevor playing drums, and, and I'm like, wow. You know, we can help the next gen win because he's fixing to take his next step this fall, and, and he's going to go to school for music, and his whole desire and idea is to be a worship leader and, a, and just to make churches and people win, and I'm just like, man, 
I know this is embarrassing, Trevor, but it's absolutely, he's just like one of my favorite people in this world because he just pushes through so much and, and just seeing his heart for something greater. And I was at the Chipola graduation on Thursday night and, and I started counting, I mean, because I, I had no clue that there were so many kids walking across the stage that night because I'm sitting on the stage and I'm, I'm doing the benediction that evening. And so I get up close and personal with all the kids that are walking across that stage and, and I lost count at 25 because I got distracted, and I thought, man, there's 25 kids walking across the stage that have been impacted at some level by Rivertown Community Church. And, and I was just like, that's a big deal. Now we're launching them out. I'm like, okay, God, did we prepare them? Did their parents prepare them? Did we do our part? I mean, it was just, it was, a, it was kind of an emotional thing as I was thinking about this series. See, here, here's the thing that I've begun to discover at 51 years of age, and that is this. Even if you're not a parent, you have influence in some way with the next generation. You are influencing the next generation every day, whether you realize it or not. So here's the thing about this series, helping the next gen win. You may be sitting here going, I'm not a parent. I'm just telling you what we're going to be talking about throughout this series. It's going to help you whether you're a parent or not to help the next generation win. So to kind of get us started in this series, I, I want you to think about something because this is, this is a big deal. This is kind of the big idea as we start um, this morning because this is kind of foundational. This is kind of launching us for the next four weeks in, in our conversations we're going to have. But if, if I said to you, if I, if I were sitting at a table and maybe sitting in your house and I said, hey, um, just tell me about your family. Here's what I know about you. You, you would tell me about whether you're married or not married if you had children, you might talk about your children. If you had siblings, brothers and sisters, you might talk about your brothers and sisters. And um, you, you'd mostly probably stop right there and kind of go, well, that's the story of my family. But one of the interesting things that makes other parts of the world different than America is this. If, if I was in another country and I sat down with a person and I asked them, hey, tell me about your family you know what they would do? They, they would tell you about their grandparents or, or their grandfather maybe and, and then their or great-grandfather or then their father. Or, I mean, they, they would tell you about all of, you know, several generations past and they would talk about them. And then if they had children, maybe they'd talk a little bit about their children. But that's not the way we kind of think in America. It's so different than the rest of the world. See, too many times when it comes to helping the next gen win, we struggle with helping the next gen win because here's the thing. In America, we don't think much past today when it comes to our families, when it comes to mentoring children and students. And that, that becomes a real problem in our culture when we don't think much past today when it comes to our families. See, we don't often think like, you know, that our lives are impacted to a large degree by our past that, you know, that we are products of our parents and our parents are products of our grandparents and our grandparents are products of our great grandparents' generation. 
But if you really stop and think about it, down deep inside, you, you know this, whether you are intentional or not at this, whether we give any kind of thought to this or no thought at all, we all, every one of us, even if you're a middle school student, a high school student, a young adult, middle-aged adult, whether you're a parent or not a parent, older adult, we are all part of shaping the next generation by what we say and by what we do and how we act and how we react. Every day, we are shaping the next generation in some way. Every day, we are determining whether the next gen is going to win. In fact, while most of you don't know this, Rivertown Community Church is to some degree what it is today because of my father and my grandfather. I mean, many of you have kind of heard me talk about how my dad never went to church until he was like a young adult. I mean, never been in a church till he was like a young adult and, and how that impacted my life and the mission of this church of, of just going like, my dad was like the only, like one of the few converts in the church I grew up in for like 30 or so years. I mean, like very few people committed life to Christ. I'm like, no, the church can't be that. You know, they can't have like one story of life change over 20, 30 years. That's not what God called us to do. And so there's so things about, many things about my dad's story that shaped our church as, as our, in our mission and our vision. And, and the same thing was true about my grandfather. It shaped our church story because my grandfather, some of you have heard me say this, my grandfather never stepped into a church, never stepped into a church until he was like in his early 60s. In fact, my dad, after he became a Christ follower, he really wanted my, uh, my granddad to go to church and, and he knew that he would never go, uh, give up TV. So he didn't ask him to come to the Mennonite church we were growing in because those Mennonites couldn't have TV. And, and my granddaddy, he, he liked to watch Channel 4 wrestling on Saturday afternoons, you know. So uh, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't about to give that up, you know. That's why he always said, call it wrestling, wrestling. We're going to go wrestling. Anyhow, um, so my dad's like, he will never join a Mennonite church or never start attending a Mennonite church because he ain't going to give that up. And so my dad found this little church um, on the south side of Blountstown, Florida called Pine Grove Free Will Baptist Church. And he had somebody that got saved late in life, was a pastor there. And my granddad liked that guy. And they were having some kind of special sing. And so my dad got him to go to this special sing they were having because he thought, well, maybe anything I can do. And my granddaddy Smith, that evening, he decided to follow Jesus. That was a big deal. He was 64 years of age. And at 67, he died of bone marrow cancer. So my granddaddy got saved and he's like, I want to know more about this thing and I want to know what this is. And so he decided to go back to church and my dad was just going to take some time off from our church and go to church with him, but for some reason he couldn't. And, um, my granddaddy didn't want to go by himself, and so I, I got to be the lucky grandchild that, um, that went with my granddad and, uh, to church, and so I, I go to church with him, and you know, of course, you know, he's, he's kind of nervous about this whole thing, and, and I'm probably 10, 11 years of age at that point in time, and, and, and I remember during this church service, they take up an offering. And so my granddaddy reaches in his back pocket and he pulls out his wallet and inside his wallet, all he had in that wallet, because I was looking, you know, I'm a little kid looking to see how much money my granddaddy's got with him. And um, so all he had was like a $20 bill, which inflation today would make that like $85. So um, 
Uh, that was a lot of money. He, he wanted to give, but he wasn't going to give that much, you know, that kind of thing. And so here's what my granddad does. The offering plate gets to him. They hand it to him. And he takes that offering plate and he puts it in his lap. And he lays that $20 bill in that offering plate. And then he starts moving the money around and starts taking money out to make himself change out of the $20. Because he wasn't given 20 He got himself about 15 bucks back. And you should have heard the people around gasping, going, what's he doing? Is he stealing money from the plate? You know, that kind of thing. And, and my granddad could hear this. I mean, the thought that somebody would take money and make change out of the offering. I mean, it's just like you don't see that in church world. But that's like the second time my granddad had been in church and, and he didn't know any better. And of course, my granddaddy is absolutely embarrassed. And I remember like being a 10, 11-year-old boy. I mean, I am so angry at these church people for not being kind to my granddaddy. In fact, I remember leaving there that evening going, I would never go back to that church, granddaddy. And he was like, no, son. That's what he called me, son. Like, son, I just didn't know that you're not supposed to do that in church. He was so much more mature than I was at that age. And he just kept going back. And Roll the clock forward. To when I started pastoring what is now RCC. And, and it shaped me big time what happened to my granddad. It shaped me so much in how I lead this church. I mean, it's why we do everything that we can do to make everybody feel welcome. It's why we work so hard on our campuses, not to embarrass anyone. I mean, it's why we work so hard to make sure that this is a church that anyone would feel welcome to and love to attend, whether they know how to behave in church or not. My granddad... My dad shaped my life and so many things about my life in so many ways. And, and here's what I know about you. If, if you would spend a little bit of time thinking about it, I mean, just every one of you, you could think of someone, a, a story in your past where either your parents or your grandparents or maybe an aunt or an uncle or a school teacher or a coach or a neighbor or a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, Man, they either influence your life in a good way or a bad way. And as you think back on your story, to a large degree or some degree, that's why you are who you are today. And when you think that way, you begin to understand something, that you are who you are because of a previous generation. See, some of us, we, we don't even realize it, but, but many of our present struggles relationally and, and spiritually are because of something that happened in our relationship with our parents or maybe our grandparents or some other family member. In fact, some of you, though, it's the other way. It's not like your struggles are there. Maybe some of you are experiencing success in life. Some of you experience spiritual, I mean, you're thriving spiritually in life. Because of something that your parents or your grandparents or a, a teacher or a Sunday school teacher instilled in your life. And I, and I can just go ahead and tell you, I mean, at 51 years of age, I mean, it is so much easier right now to see how big an impact every one of us have on the next generation looking backwards. It's, it's so much easier. 
I mean, I look at moments in my life as a parent with my children, and I cringe because I'm going, man, that made such an impression on them. And in that moment, I didn't realize that. And then there are other moments I go, wow, that made such an impression on them, and I'm glad they got to experience that. See, it's just much easier, and I, and I hope you hear my heart this morning, especially if you're a younger parent or especially if you're a younger adult, that to realize that, man, you, well, let's just put this on the screen, that you are somebody's previous generation, that you, you are shaping somebody's future, whether you want to be or not. If you are alive and breathing to some degree, you are somebody's previous generation. I mean, think about that. That's pretty big, isn't it? I mean, something that you decide to do or something that you decide not to do, what's going to happen is it's going to replay in someone's mind, and it's going to be a story in somebody's mind later on. In fact, all the decisions that you're making right now, it is going to impact the next generation in some way, either for good or for bad. So I'm just telling you, what we're talking about for the next four weeks, it is so important. And then here's kind of like the big question that I just want you to consider as we begin this conversation today, and and we'll carry it with us for the next four weeks, and that is this. What if we could help the next gen win? Well, what if we could help the next generation win in life? And I'm going to tell you something. If you're a Christ follower sitting in one of our rooms right now or you're listening later on, I mean, this is such a big deal because when you look at where we're at as a nation, when, we're, when you look at where we're at in our communities, when it comes to raising up like God-honoring next generation, we, we've not fared so well with this. In fact, kind of look at these stats. I mean, th- these are kind of uh, astounding when you think about it. But for people that were built... Uh, The builders that were born between 1927 and 45, 65% of them believe that the Bible is helpful for life. But those that are born between 46 and 64, about 35% believe that the Bible is helpful for life. And then my generation, the busters, we came along and busted everything. Anyhow, born between 65 and 83, about 16% believe that the Bible is helpful for life. And then the Bridgers, this is like the millennial, the IY generation. I mean, it's like all of that generation that were born after 84, about 4% believe the Bible is helpful for life. And the big question becomes like, how do we help the next gen win when one of the foundations and principal guides for life, I mean, only 4% kind of believe that it's helpful. Well, the answer is we, we don't go back to the 20s and 40s. But I do believe the answer is found in the pattern and the path that God laid out for parenting. In fact, if you have your Bibles and you want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to look at that for just a moment. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses gives us a plan And it's a plan that Moses was giving to the nation of Israel. Basically, God gave this plan to Moses to the nation of Israel, or through Moses to the nation of Israel for raising children. Make sure you understand this. For raising children, and the way you were to raise the children was by training their heart. Don't miss that. So God gave the nation of Israel 
this plan for raising children, children where you train their heart. And I'm going to tell you, this whole pattern and plan of raising children where you train the heart, it is so counterculture. And I'm going to show you that in just a moment. So it's not necessarily intuitive to us. In fact, notice how Moses said this. He said, these commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. So first of all, it starts with us. What we're going to talk about today, he's like, it's got to be in your heart before it can be in somebody else's heart. So he's like, these things are to be impressed on your heart. He says, and then once they're impressed on your heart, impress them on your children's heart. And he says, here's how you do this. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Literally, what Moses is saying is, you're to do life in such a way that you can impress life-giving values on the hearts of your children no matter what you're doing. That that needs to be the path and pattern of your life. Literally, he says, when you sit at home for, to have a meal together, when, when you drive up and down the road, when, when you're putting your kids to bed at night, and, and when you're getting them up in the morning. He's like, you need to have a path and a pattern of life where that you're able to impress these values, life-giving values that can guide your child's heart for the rest of their life. So here, here's what Moses is basically saying to the nation of Israel. God's plan for parenting is about training the heart. And as I said, I mean, this is so countercultural because honestly, we as parents, I mean, we, we don't train the heart as much as what we think we might do. Looking back on my path of parenting, I, I really wanted to train my children's heart. I even believed in training my children's heart. But there were so many times, there was months and weeks and maybe even seasons where we got so distracted. Now, while our desire was to train our children's heart, we got distracted from doing that. And, and while many of you, I mean, your desire for your children, I mean, they're, they're good. And, and man, our efforts as parents, I mean, you could almost call them heroic, right? I mean, it's like, it's almost heroic to be a parent, especially if you're like a single parent, you know, a single mom or a single dad, or maybe you're an aunt or uncle that's raising you know, like your nephew or your niece or your grandparent that's raising your grandchild, or, or maybe you're a step-parent that's raising a child from a marriage that you were part of. I mean, it's like you, I mean, we just so admire you. I mean, your efforts are heroic. But here's where we often kind of self-sabotage without even realizing, and that is this. Instead of training the heart, what ends up happening is we get distracted, or get distracted, excuse me, we get distracted and we start working really hard to make sure that our kids are getting the right education. And then we go, yeah, we want them to have this right education, and, and we're all about their education. And then we're like, and we want them to have the right experiences, because our mind is, man, they need to have all these different experiences. And we believe that if they have this, you know, this balance of this right education and right experiences, that we will be helping the next gen win. And because we get so busy with education and experience, we often forget about training the heart. Now, some years ago, and you've heard me talk about this lady before, her name is, was Sue Gilbert, and we were talking about parenting with her and our marriage and those kind of things. She was a coach and counselor of mine in Melody's life for some years. 
And, and she said something to us one time we were struggling. And it was so helpful for me. When we were talking about, man, we get so distracted from training our children's heart, impressing important things in their hearts. And she told us this. She said, you know, the two greatest enemies to helping the next gen win is media and extracurricular activity. I thought, wow. Because we were kind of getting into that. You know, media was getting really popular and, you know, kids were going in that direction because it was expanding. And, you know, of course, about that time, you know, all these ball teams and everything that was available was just like exploding. And here's the thing. There, I mean, there's nothing wrong with media and there's, there's nothing wrong with extracurricular activities. But, but the truth is, if we don't manage them well, they, they tend to become a priority quickly over training the heart and they, they become a distraction from training the heart. And, and don't miss this. God's plan makes the goal of parenting to make sure that our kids understand the right values, that the right values have been impressed upon their hearts. See, God's plan for parenting to help the next gen win is about constantly, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, impressing life-giving virtues on our children's heart so that as they grow, they become guided by those virtues, not just by some emotional impulse or some immediate gratification that they feel like they need to fulfill in this moment. And what Moses is saying to the nation of Israel, he's saying, listen, lead your families in such a way that you can use the rhythm of your family to impress these virtues and these values that will guide the hearts of your children up on their hearts. And kind of what Moses is saying without saying it is this, is like when you do that, when you kind of create a rhythm in your family where you're impressing these life-giving values on your heart, what you do is you allow them to develop their faith naturally in their younger years so that they can be guided by those same values in their later years. So the big question becomes this, what are the essentials that we must impress on the hearts of our children if we want the next generation to win? And um, here's the thing, we find these essentials in this very small but very important verse. And I'm going to tell you something. My wife and I, we bet the farm on this verse. We absolutely bet the farm on this verse. We, we not only bet the farm for our children being raised by this verse, but we want you to understand that all of our curriculum for all of our children and all of our students is based on this verse. And this one little verse, it describes Jesus' life from the age of about 12 to the age of 30. I mean, think about it. One verse to describe basically all of Jesus' childhood, other than the story about when he was born, that kind of thing. But this one verse describes basically all of Jesus' childhood, his teenage years, his young adult years are pretty much summarized, age 12 to 30, in this one verse. Which means for us, it's like, man, this verse is really important. We need to understand what these these values that Jesus lived out or this statement about Jesus. And then we've got to impress that on our children if we're going to help the next generation win. And here's the thing. I mean, folks, we, we did away with, 
with so many different programs that we had as a church. We had like Awanas. We had Sunday school. I mean, we had all these different things. I mean, I, I made, oh my goodness, I, I even made my mom mad at me about making this change. I mean, she, she just like started praying for me because I was going to send all these kids to hell, you know, back in the day. And I was like, man, it was like, so we, we changed it. I mean, it's like, listen, we're, we're moving away from the model and we're going after what Jesus went after. And so everything we do with your children in Wombaland, Upstreet, uh, Transit, Inside Out, it is built on this verse. Now, here's the thing. I got about 30 more minutes of things to say, and I got eight minutes on my timer in the back, and it's just killing me. So, um, so we're going to have to figure this out, okay? Like, um, how are we going to do this? Um, maybe next, next, the next services just come on in and catch up, right? I don't know. So here's, let me just show you the verse, and then I'm going to figure out how we're going to close this thing out, okay? But here's the deal. So he, here's the thing. Here's the verse. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He grew in favor with God. And he grew in favor with men. And here's what we decided as, as, as parents. And it's what we decided as a church. Hey, if these were big deals for Jesus, if Jesus needed to grow in wisdom, if Jesus needed to grow in stature, and we're going to explain what that means, and in favor with God and favor with men, then that's important for our children as well. And so we, we changed everything. And you know, and that's why it was so emotional for me this morning as I sat and I watched Trevor playing the drums. Because 14 years ago, his parents started attending RCC and he was one of those children that we bet the farm on. And then as I watched students walk across that stage at Chipola College that night, I'm like, oh my goodness, so many of these students, I mean, we bet the farm on whether this was going to work or not. And it worked. But I'm going to just tell you, it takes a partnership. It takes a partnership between the parent and the church. So what are the four things? Well, let's look at the four core essentials. And I'm just telling the tech team right now, I'm probably going to get one and then we're going to be done. Okay, I'm just going to have to change next week's talk to finish this up. All right, how about that? Everybody okay with that? All the campus, y'all okay with that? If we do that, all right, good deal. That way everybody go to lunch, right? In time, right? So here's four core essentials to focus on. The first one is this, is wisdom. So um, wisdom, it doesn't mean that Jesus went to school and developed intellectually. That's, that's not a win. It's, it's not, it doesn't mean that he just got an education. See, whenever the Bible talks about wisdom, here's the thing you understand. I mean, there is so much more to wisdom in Scripture than what we think about in our American culture. We think it's knowledge and intellect. But wisdom is just so much more than knowledge and intellect. Here's what wisdom is from Scripture's perspective. It is the ability to choose correctly and follow the best plan of action. That's, the, that's what wisdom is. It is the ability to choose correctly and follow the best plan of action. So the question becomes is, how do you instill this value into your children? How do you help your children grow in wisdom? Now, I want to tell you something. The primary way that you help your children grow in wisdom is this, is we must model wisdom as parents. We must model wisdom as adults. Notice I didn't say we must teach it. While there is some teaching 
The bigger thing we must do is we must model it. Listen, parents and adults, don't, don't forget this. The, the statement that there is more caught by children than taught to children, it is so important. And it is so true. Now, the Apostle Paul, he says, okay, here's how you live this principle out. Here's how you impress this principle on your heart so that you can impress this principle in the lives of other people. Notice what he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. He says, therefore, be careful how you live, not as unwise men, but as wise. Now, you could turn this around and he could say, therefore, don't be careless with how you live. Because here's the problem. When you start getting careless with how you live, what ends up happening is you do not have good outcomes. And let me just tell you, most of the time, here's how we adults and here's how we as parents get careless. You ready for this? We ask the wrong questions. We ask the wrong questions about our life and we ask the wrong questions about our children's life. See, the questions that we need to ask is not, is there anything wrong with it when we're trying to make decisions about our family and our children? The, the question is not, is it legal or is it moral or is it right or is it wrong? I mean, those are all the wrong questions. The principle that we must model is to ask this question, what is the wise thing to do? That's the question that we as parents, I mean, our children need to be hearing us. Let me, let me tell you how important this is. How important this is. My son, 26, just turned 26, um, and, and, and he had this, this past week, he had probably one of the biggest life decisions that he will ever make in his life, next to a relationship with God and who his spouse is going to be. And so we started, we started having this conversation about this decision. What are you going to do? What choice are you going to make? And you know what? It came down to this. If we had not had this question right here, there's no telling what we would have done. But it finally came back and I was like, Cameron, we have to go back to the one question. We have to go back to this, what is the wise thing to do? And here's the thing. As soon as we asked the question, what is the wise thing to do? It cleared up everything. It took away all the speculation. It took away all the rationalization. It took away all the imagination. And it brought reality. And we go, What's the wise thing to do? In fact, when Cameron found out that I was going to be talking about this principle in this talk, he's like, Dad, you are going to put that question up on the screen, right? Because he's like, that's the most important question. Now, he's heard this question since he was a kid. In our home, in an upstreet, Wombaland, in all our student ministry. At 26, he's going, listen, Dad, that's the most important question. You are putting it up there, right? Listen, if we want to help the next gen win, this question, this wisdom thing, it has to be so impressed on our hearts that they automatically, when they start to make a decision, the first question they ask is this, in light of how this is going to affect my future, and in light of how this might affect myself and the people around me, 
Is this the wise thing to do? The only way for you to impress wisdom into the heart of your child, if you're a parent, or wisdom into the heart of your children, if you're a school teacher, or wisdom into the heart of the children, if, if you're a small group leader, or if you're a mentor somewhere, or if you're, a, if you're a boss and you're working them, the only way to impress wisdom on the heart of the child is for them to hear you say it so many times, is this the wise thing to do so that when they have to make a decision their automatic first thought is is this the wise thing to do because i'm telling you that question there it's 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 like every other question is here and then there's that question So as parents, I mean, you have to model this. As adults, we have to model this. I mean, we can't be careless. You you have to model this like with your decisions. You have to model this in all your relationships so that you can impress wisdom on your children's heart. Listen, you got to understand this. If we raise our children and we release them into adulthood without the ability to gain wisdom. How do you gain wisdom? You ask this question, what is the wise thing to do? It's not the only thing. I mean, you you have a relationship with God, you learn, you grow, that kind of thing. You learn from life experiences. But if we don't teach them how to gain wisdom by asking this question, we set up the next generation for disastrous outcomes. And here's why, here's why. Because every choice, every decision we make Everyone puts us on a path. And every path has a predetermined outcome. So the first essential area that you have to impress on your children, but to impress it on your children, it already has to be impressed on you. For you to impress it on the next generation around you, whether you're a boss, a school teacher, a mentor, whatever you are, it's got to be in you, is you have to model the wisdom principle. So Jesus grew in wisdom, and here's what I'm asking you. Are you growing in wisdom as an adult? Because you are somebody's next generation. So the way we're going to close this out today is I'm going to challenge you to begin this week asking yourself this question for every decision you make. Is this the wise thing to do and make sure parents make sure school teachers make sure mentors make sure as employees and bosses and grandparents and and uncles and aunts that as as children are around you they're hearing you ask this question because see Melody and I, looking back, I mean, we're so glad that this was one of the principles and values that we impressed on our children's heart because we've watched all of our kids use this for life. I mean, just major life decisions. They always come back to going, is this the wise thing to do? And when you ask that question, it clears away all the clutter. Now, next week, we're going to do part two of part one that we didn't know we were going to do. And you don't want to miss it because the last part's better than the first part. I'm just telling you. So it's like, yeah, it's good. So, um, <clears throat> so let me pray for you and uh, we'll get ready for part two next week, right? All right. God, thank you so much uh, for this incredible moment, this time when um, 
God, we just get to pause as adults, as, as students, even as middle school students, because God, all of us, we're impacting other people's lives that are younger than us. And, and I just pray that today that you'll help just anchor into every one of our hearts that we are somebody's previous generation. Even if we're in middle school, even if we're in high school, even if we're young adult age. And God, I, I pray that this week and next week, we'll just really dig down into these four core essentials that were essential for Jesus And therefore, they're so essential for us. God, we want to help the next gen win. We want to with all of our hearts. And I just pray now that um, you will absolutely help every one of us to make the commitment to impress the wisdom principle in our hearts as somebody's previous generation. And then begin to impress it on their hearts as we live it out in our lives every day modeling it in front of them. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do for the next generation. I, I thank you that there, there are going to be so many more kids that we're going to watch walk across the stages as they finish elementary school and middle school and high school and college, and they're winning because we modeled well the wisdom principle. So Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us this week. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen. Hey, again, thanks everyone for coming. Don't forget, next Sunday's Mother's Day. We'll finish this up, and it's going to be a better talk than next week's. But anyhow, we'll see you. Have a great day.